right, let me do a quick recap. We are finishing our five-week series titled Believe, like I just said, and it's based, the anchor verse of this study is Luke 1.45, and Elizabeth is speaking to her cousin Mary, Mary being the mother of Jesus, and if you remember, she says to Mary, she says, Mary, you are blessed above all women because why? Because you believe God, because you believe God. And so what we've done for the last five weeks is we've taken a more in-depth look through scripture. What does that word mean? And where do we see it played out? The word comes from a Greek word in the New Testament. It is pistuo, and it means to believe so much so that you're convicted to act that movement follows that belief. Oftentimes I can say that I believe, but I stay paralyzed. And God say, no, no, no. The belief I'm talking about is that you believe so much that you lean in and you'll actually let go of something, stop controlling it, or you'll grab the reins when I tell you to, you'll take the step of faith. But your belief um, moves you to act. It's a convicting belief. And so we've looked at different places of scripture. And today we're going to look at John chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. But I want to do a little exercise with us as we jump into today. I'm going to hold up two signs. And I want you to just do a gut level check right now. If you see these two signs and you can, somebody's holding them up. And you can jump in line, and the line that you jump in is what you receive. So you can receive free money. There's no amount. There's no cap on it. Or you can receive Jesus. Now, I know what we all know we ought to say. We should say Jesus. But if I'm being honest, I just want, just tell me just how much, like, really, there's no limit. I want you to think for just a second in your own lives, what might you write on this piece of paper? Because for some of us, that's what we're running to because in our minds, that's gonna meet the need that we have. It's gonna get us out of financial uh, debt or strain. It's gonna buy that extra home that we know our family needs. If we could just have that lakeside home, our family would get along better. And so free money is super enticing. But others of us may write something totally different. You may write a thriving marriage, a restored marriage. You may write perfect health. You might write freedom from addiction. You may write, um, I don't know, what would you write? There are cards on your tables. And I want you to just ask the Lord, just take two seconds. What comes to your mind? What would you write down? Here's a way, um, when I ask myself that question... Sometimes it's hard for me to get to that answer, and so I come at it from a different angle. And the different angle is, okay, what is it that puts me in a frenzy? What is it that puts me in a frenzy? That's what I want resolved. What is it that puts me in a frenzy? Well, then I'd write on here, the well-being of my children. The well-being of my children. I would also write free money, financial security. I might also write uh, success in ministry, that I'm effective in ministry, not popular, but effective in ministry. I'd put a thriving marriage. There's all sorts of things I'd put, and it, all, it varies with the seasons, doesn't it? But what would you write today? What would you write today? And when you write that, 
I want you to ask yourself, is Jesus enough for that? Is he enough? Again, we know the right answer in our head. You know, I'm looking for that yes. But the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders. They knew the right answers of the religion in the day. And they didn't know Jesus. And so that's kind of what we're talking about and what we find in John chapter 6. And so as we look at it, I want to set up this passage. Jesus has begun his ministry. He started healing people. The disciples are walking with him now. They're watching this happen. His popularity is growing. People are interested in what he has to say. They're interested in really what he has to do. They're watching him heal people and do miraculous things that they've not seen before. So the crowds are growing. We see this all through the New Testament. The crowds are growing. And so he finds himself in John 6 where we find him. He's on the sea, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and he begins to teach the masses. And there's so many of them that he has to get into a boat because they're kind of crowding in on him. They're crowding his space. And so he begins to teach. And it says this in verse 1 of John chapter 6. It says, after this, after this just means after he had done some miraculous healings, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. It says, then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So turning to Philip, Philip was one of the 12 disciples, he asked him, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Jesus was testing Philip because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knows what he's doing in your life. He already knows. So in verse 7, it says, Philip replied, even if I worked for months, if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. He's seeing a huge problem, a crisis, and he's trying to answer it with a natural solution. And he's saying, I can't. I can't do this. Can't do it. Ain't going to happen. Don't have enough money. Can't buy enough food. Don't have the resources to meet the need. Have you ever felt that? I do not have the resources to meet whatever's in front of me. I don't have it. That's what Philip is saying back to Jesus. And then verse 8, it says, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, also spoke up, and he said, Well, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? What's interesting is it's a young boy with, two, with how many barley loaves? Five and two fish. Always take note of what Jesus uses. It's always the least likely. And so if you find yourself in a crisis in your life and you're asking Jesus to come through and you're in a frenzy about it and you're asking him to intervene, always recognize that your natural solution probably isn't his. Scripture is very clear to tell us in Isaiah 55 that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so the way he goes about his business is oftentimes counterintuitive to mine. And so that's what's happening with the disciples is that Simon's thinking we need money. The resource that we need to meet the need is money. And then uh, Andrew says, well, here's like five barley loaves and 
two fish and a young kid. I mean, that's not really going to meet the need, but it's something. And Jesus' work starts to take place. So Jesus says in verse 10, he says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes and the men alone numbered about 5,000. So you add women and children, you've got at least 15,000 people. It says, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same thing with the fish. And listen to this. Scripture says, and they all ate as much as they wanted. There, wasn't a, there wasn't like somebody monitoring that buffet line saying, okay, you need to, uh-uh. No, 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 no. Put that scoop. You, you get one scoop. When we pull out the half gallon of Bluebell and Ben thinks he's just going to save me the trouble and scoop it himself, we say, no, 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 no. 14 scoops is not what mom had in mind. Ease up. There was none of that. They had as much as they wanted. And that's important because we'll see where that comes into play. They ate all as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, what was every, everyone was what? Full. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, okay, now gather the leftovers. This is what I love about the Lord is in his economy, there's always abundance. His grace abounds in my weakness. When I'm depleted, his strength abounds. When I'm tired, he's full of rest. When I'm in a frenzy, he's full of peace. When I'm despairing, he's full of joy. His, he is always in abundance, always, always. So now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and they filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. How many of us today, let me just stop, this is a rabbit trail. How many of us walk in here today and we feel like five barley loaves and two fish? We feel like there is something in front of us that feels too much for us. It's too much. I don't have the wisdom for it. I don't have the resources for it. I don't have the energy for it. It's too much. And I feel like I'm five barley loaves and two fish, but I need to feed 15,000 people. And what I love that scripture says is that they gathered the pieces and they picked up the pieces and filled them with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. There's something magical that happens when I lean into Jesus, when I become at that desperate place and I don't have it. I don't have it anymore. And have you ever felt like people are just eating off of me and I'm wasting away. I don't have any more left. And Jesus is saying, if you'll just trust me, there's always an abundant supply. There's always abundant. From you will flow, will flow. Not from you will spurt. From you will flow springs of living water to no end. And sometimes I just got to remember that when I don't have it in me. And I feel depleted. I don't have to fear that I'm, I'm too depleted for what my children need. The Lord will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches that are found in Christ Jesus. And so if you're feeling that way today, if you're feeling depleted and you think, I've just got maybe an nth of the degree needed to meet this need, the Lord's saying, I got everything you need. Everything you need. Don't shrink back. Keep pressing in because I will supply it in the moment of your weakness. 
Oftentimes I stand back in the crisis and I look and I'm like, okay, tell me exactly, give me the roadmap, tell me how you're gonna supply, tell me how you're gonna meet this need and then I'll step forward and trust you in it. But you need to, we need to have a conference call first. I'm just not gonna jump out there. And he says, no, oftentimes you gotta step out and the waters part once you are knee deep in it. You're knee deep in it. And we'll see that in just a second. So they picked up the pieces and in verse 14 it says, when the people saw him, Jesus, do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he's the prophet that we've been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now what does that mean? Because didn't he come to be the Messiah? Why would he slip away from that? Why wouldn't he say, yeah, that's right, that's who I am? If you notice in scripture that, that word king is lowercase in my translation, what they want in Jesus is what he can do for them. They want a sugar daddy. They don't want a Messiah. They want a Messiah, but their Messiah definition is not what his definition is. And they're super pumped up. They are excited. They're like, this is what we've been waiting for. These are poor people. The people that are on this shoreline are not necessarily wealthy people. And so they didn't just eat a little bit to satisfy their hunger. They ate in all they wanted until they were full. And they ate good bread and good fish. So you better believe they're excited about this. This is working for me. Yeah, we want more of that. Now, what is it that they're really wanting, do you think? Maybe just, we'll see this in a little bit. But in your mind, what do you think they really are wanting when they say we want him to be our king? What are they wanting? They're, yeah, they're wanting, and they're wanting his hand. They're wanting what he can give to them. They don't know him. They don't know him. They've just seen what he just did, and it affected them in a positive way. I want more of that. I want more of that. Yes, get, yes, give that to me. Give that to me. I remember when I first saw my husband, Jason, he was leading worship music at a church and I was visiting with a friend. And I remember it was, it was a new church that was just starting, so it was a small group, it was smaller than this. And I remember sitting there and he's up there singing and I was like, well, that's, I'm done. Just done. Who is that? And when the service was over, let me just tell you, I, I was not worshiping Jesus in that service. I was sitting there and I was planning our life out. And I was like, this is what this is going to look like. And in my mind, I knew everything about Jason Seifert based on what I was seeing. And I was seeing him at his absolute best. That's what Facebook does, does it not? We get to portray, portray our absolute best. And I'm looking at him like, yes, yes, and yes. Here's what this is like. He has, I bet you he comes from the most beautiful family, just Beaver Cleaver. I bet his mom is like Betty Crocker and his dad is Clark Gable. And, and I bet that he just has this perfectly knit family. And I bet this and that. And here's what our lives are gonna look like. And he's gonna write songs about me. And we're just gonna... <laughs> always be in agreement with each other and it's just gonna be bliss. And I'm like, I mapped this thing out. And service was over and I'm looking at my friend, I'm like, who is that? She said, that's what I've been telling you about. I wanted to set you up with him. I'm like, get her done, make that happen. <laughs> I thought, I bet you he's just this bold, I mean, what, I, I, oh my gosh. 
He's Brad Pitt of the small startup churches. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in. And I remember when I met him, when he stepped down and we had our first date, he was so very different. Because when he was on stage, he had this presence. And then off stage, he's introverted. He was shy. And I'm, I'm going. <laughs> and then when I met his, his dad had passed away. His parents were divorced. He came from a whole sea of broken dysfunction, just like I did. I was like, what? What? Just get back up there and sing again. <laughs> But I remember in the moment as we began to date, the Lord began to reveal his heart to me. And I remember the Lord was like, who are you falling in love with, Laura? Are you falling in love, are you falling in love with that guy on stage or are you falling in love with Jason? And there was a while that I didn't know. I was like, I don't know. And I'm in love with Jason Seifert. He's got the greatest heart. But it was interesting because the same thing was true for me, and that's a cheesy example, but it's, it's similar in my relationship with Jesus. I remember when I first, I mean, when I was a young girl, I came to know Jesus at a church camp at age eight. And I didn't really know much. I just knew he wanted to be my friend, invite him into my heart, and I did that, and it was very sincere. But I didn't need him, really, I can remember my first real need for him was when I was at A&M. My parents were divorced and my twin sister and I were going to, to A&M and we, my mom had scraped enough money together to get us through our first semester, freshman year, fall semester. And I remember at that break, she didn't have it. We didn't have the resources for us to continue going there. And I'm a third generation Aggie. And so I wasn't too excited about going to San Jack back home. I was like, no, let, I want to go to A&M. That was my dream. So we began to pray. My sister and I did. And that was the first time I remember pressing in and going, Lord, I don't have it. Will you come through? And we began to fill out all the forms, uh, the student aid, and we got Pell Grants. We got all sorts of financial aid. When you have a mom that's single and she's a secretary and you're twins, it looks great on paper for financial aid. They're like, oh, God bless you. Here you go. Here's some more. Oh my gosh. We got Pell Grants and we got um, student aid. And so we were able to go through all four years at A&M without the strain on my mom or my dad or the strain on us. And it was beautiful. And I remember going, oh my goodness, I prayed for that. And he met that need. This is awesome. But what was happening is I was really in love with his providing hand in my life. I was so grateful, but I was consumed with what he had done for me, consumed by it. And the Lord was so gracious to me. And I think for a lot of us, that's how our relationship with the Lord begins. He's really grateful and he's really gracious to us and we get to see him and we feel him and we experience his presence in ways that sometimes we can't even explain. But it's like, oh my gosh, that song that just came on was exactly what I was just talking to a friend about and that has to be God. And oh my goodness, I was jogging and this bird came. It's just like you see him in all sorts of ways. I was just praying for that and he met that need and the Lord is so gracious to do that. But it doesn't stop there. Because if it stopped there, then we're like that soil that receives joyfully, but when temptation comes, and that temptation is, I don't know if he's really good, when that comes, we fall away because we've not really planted deep roots. And that's what's happening with this massive crowd. 
they are pumped and they are just totally focused with this meat, this fish and this bread and the abundance of it. So much so their heads are down in their own lives. They don't even notice that Jesus slips away. They don't even notice it. But let's pick up in verse 22 and we'll see when they start to notice. It says the next day, so he's been gone 24 hours. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. And they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Hold on, we didn't even see you slip out. How'd that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. You were engulfed in your own joy. You were engulfed in what had just happened. The provision that had happened. Now there's nothing wrong with celebrating what God's done in your life. But if I just stay right there, then I begin to worship what he's given me. I worship the creation and not the creator. And if I start to worship the creation, whatever that is, whatever prayer he's answered, whether it be you've been lonely and you've longed for a spouse, here he comes. You've longed for the health of your children, here they come, they're doing great. You've wanted them to make the team, they made the team, they're doing awesome. You've longed for a restored marriage, here it comes. You've longed for your bank account to be steady, there it is, I don't know what it is in your life. You've longed for freedom from something. I don't struggle with that anymore and I'm fixated on that. Anytime we become myopic and all we see is our own lives and the things that God has done for us, we begin to worship the created thing versus the creator himself. And Jesus will not stand for that. Why? Because he loves me too much. He knows that this, this fish, it's gonna rot. It will eventually rot. That man, he will disappoint me. Those kids, I can't control my kids. I don't know what decisions they're gonna make. I don't know if they're gonna reject me or not. I don't know what they're gonna do in life. I can do my best to steward, but I am not in control of them. Anything other than Jesus will disappoint. Anything, anything other than Jesus will disappoint us. And he knows that I was created for intimacy with him. I was created to be satisfied in him. There's a quote that I love that says, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. He's most glorified when I'm in love with him, when my affection has grown. And so for me in my life, God comes through and provides the financial aid I need. I'm super pumped. But then here we go just a few months later and I really want a boyfriend. I mean, I'm going to A&M. It's one of the most conservative schools in the country. And back then when I was going to A&M, every girl was, they wanted an MRS degree, meaning they wanted to meet their man. And if you didn't get engaged by the end of your senior year, <gasps> gasp. And I thought, well, surely I'm not gonna graduate single. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got married at 30. Wanted him to provide, provide. Needed a job, he did provide that, but everything in me was just one experience to another. And then I shifted and I thought, well, you know what? I'm just gonna learn every bit of this scripture I can. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna inhale it. And I did that. 
I did that in college. I learned so many passages of scripture, was teaching Bible studies, but it was just the opposite extreme. Scripture says that knowledge alone puffs up. I was puffed up. Both things, I was going for his heart and then all of this knowledge and I was missing his heart the whole time. Missing his heart, my affection and my intimacy was not growing with him. And I don't care which end you fall on, you will burn out either way. All of a sudden, he's not gonna jump through the hoop that you are begging him to jump through and aghast, you are disappointed and you are derailed. All of a sudden, you just get tired of all of it. Just, I'm telling you, this word is alive and active, but not apart from the Holy Spirit. And when I open this up, I have to believe that the Spirit is going to enlighten me, that the Spirit's going to speak to me. But if, I mean, there are, there are so many professors in college that teach this and don't believe a lick of it. It's another form of philosophy. Where is our heart? Where is my heart? In my mind, and this is just my opinion, but spiritual maturity, the mark of it is my affection, my, my love, my deep love and trust, my belief is growing year after year. It doesn't mean that my life is easier year after year, it just means my depth of trust and belief and love for him grows. And oftentimes that takes place in the sparse seasons of our life when his presence is enough. So they asked him in verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake and they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus replies to them and he says, I tell you the truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. I'm the way and the truth. So what I tell you, it's the truth. I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs. You see, as Jesus is healing, He's expressing his deity. He's expressing that he's God. But they don't get that. They don't get that. They're just seeing this is crazy what he's able to do. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. He's saying you're not understanding. You're seeing, but you're not seeing. You're hearing, but you're not hearing. And you just want me for what I can do for you. How many times have I been there? I don't really have time to press in to intimacy with you. I just need you to fix this. I am not gonna sleep well if this kid of mine does not get right. So I just need you to tell me, just, just fix it. I mean, yeah, I love you. La, 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 la. <laughs> but the reality is, the reality is, hold that piece of paper up. I want you to fix this, provide in this way. And Jesus is saying, you want more than that. You're not in touch with that right now, but you want more than that. And you certainly need more than that. And I'm here to give it to you. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. At some point, we, we jump from experience to experience to experience in our walk with the Lord. And it's kind of like a hit that we get. We get a spiritual hit. And it makes us feel really good until the next time we kind of sink lower and then we need to somehow get that hit again. All the while our relationship is not growing and then we may flip to the other side and we may learn and learn and learn and learn and learn. And our heart is growing colder and colder and colder. And we're becoming more and more self-righteous. And what does the Lord want to do? He wants to marry the two. 
He wants you to know and love scripture and he wants you to watch him live this out in your life. The two become one. He wants them to marry grace and truth, grace and truth. So Jesus says to them in verse 27, he says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Perishable things, y'all, you can put anything in there besides him. Relationships are perishable. We are perishable. Material things are perishable. Don't be so concerned with them. But in other words, he says, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. He said that to them because back then when a king sent a message or sent something and it had his seal on it, that meant he was guaranteeing the contents. This is the real deal. And they replied to Jesus in verse 28. They said, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Have any of us been there? Woo, yes. Okay, if, you're, if, if we can't be with you all the time, Jesus, is what they're saying, just teach us how to multiply food. And then we're not going to be hungry. And so that's going to fix our need always. Others of us are just, give me the power that I need to minister in the way I feel I need to minister, whatever it is. It's just another form of needing him to be my genie. What do I have to do to do what you do? What do I have to do? Have you ever compared yourself to someone else? What do I have to do to look like that? What do I have to do to be like that? What do I have to do to be in that circle? Just tell me. So this isn't some pious statement that they're making. It's still self-centered. It's still self-absorbed. What do we have to do? But look at what he says in verse 29. What he says to them is so simple and yet it's so profound because he knows it's going to wreck them. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. That's that word, pistuo. Jesus is saying, this is the only work I want you to do, Laura, is just believe me. Believe me. Everything else will flow from that foundation of trust. Everything will flow. The wisdom that you need to guide your life, it will flow from a foundation of belief. The ministry that you were called to do, the call on your life, your destiny, will flow from a foundation of trusting belief in Jesus. The miracle that you, know, that you need in your life flows from a trusting foundation in Jesus. Everything that you need, everything that I need is found in Jesus. Everything. The question is not if that's true. The question is, do I believe that? Do I believe that? Is he enough? Is he enough? Does he really hold everything that I need? Jesus is saying, the only work I want from you is that you would believe me. Oftentimes, I was just visiting with a friend the other day, and she said, I'm trying to do these things to please him. And she's just a, one of the sweetest people pleasers on the planet. And I said, let's go, let's do this. Let's just take one week and all you do is you focus on the fact that he just loves you. He just loves you and he wants you to believe that. There aren't hoops that I have to jump through so that I have his favor. His favor rests on me because of the blood of Christ. Do I believe that or not? 
So they answered him in verse 30, just like I have answered him. They answered, they said, well, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? I read that. Doesn't it feel like audacious? And yet I say that all the time. Okay, all right, I'm going to believe you. Would you just confirm it again? That's what Moses did. Okay, confirm it again. Confirm it again. Okay, I'm going to give you Aaron. Confirm it again. Okay, I'm going to give you Miriam. Now shut up and go. I'm going to speak through you. Just, could, could you just again give me a sign? Give me a sign. Give me a sign. And Jesus is saying, intimacy will come when you just believe me. Because here's the thing. Faith often feels like I am jumping off a cliff. I'm jumping off a ledge. And it is scary. It is scary, especially when it involves those things we hold most dear. It is scary for me to trust him with my kids. That's like my heart beats outside of my chest and it's really raw half the time. And so when I think of my jugular in life, it's my kids. And so, Jesus, you're telling me you love them more than I do? You're telling me that you are involved in their lives, that you are at work? You're telling me that? Okay, and so you want me to step off a cliff and lay them at your feet and stop controlling them? You're actually telling me that? Mm Mm-hmm, I am. Would you believe me? And so it's scary. And so I'm like, okay, I'll believe you if you'll give me some indication that they know you. Okay, I'll believe you if you give me some indication that I should surrender them, whatever it is. Just give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. And Jesus is saying, the thrill of the ride happens when you step off. That's when the thrill happens. Have you ever been on a swing like that or ropes course or something? The thrill happens when you step off. And I'm wanting the thrill as I have the security of being up safe, harnessed in on this ledge. Give me a sign. It's just give me, give me something so that I don't have to really trust you. Now, here's the thing. When you sense God saying something to you, it is good to have wise counsel. It is good to make sure that you're hearing God correctly. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when you know God's asking you to do something and it is lining up with Scripture, but you're still standing here on this ledge, at some point he's like, I can't make you jump, Laura. I can't. You're either going to believe me or not. My daughter Beth has had a, she's had a tough week at school the last few days. She's, had, she's experienced rejection for one of the first times in her life. Not the first time, but from some mean girls. Fourth grade can be mean. It can be tough. And, and she's a jugular for me. And so she comes in and she's in tears and she's like, Mommy, she's laying in her bed and I'm laying with her and she's got her eyes over her, her hand over her eyes. She's like, I just don't know why they're denying me a seat at the table. Just kill me now. I'm like, well, you tell me who they are. (laughs) And we will take care of this. Is literally, I mean, that is my first go-to is I want to swoop in and walk in with a lot of power and look at those little girls in the eyes. And I know I can intimidate a fourth grader. (laughs) I'm pretty good at it. And I'm realizing as she's just sharing her heart with me, I'm following my frenzy. It's headed down the road. And I know some of us in this room are like, just wait till your kids are grown. I know, don't tell me. I'm not there yet. Let me just panic about the fourth grade problems. And I'm laying there, and in the moment as I'm laying there, I'm like, I just sense the Lord say to me, all of her days are ordained before one of them have come into being. 
I knit her together in your womb. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm writing a story with her life. And this will not be in vain. This seems minor, but to me it seemed huge. But even this, I'm using this in Beth's life. The question is, do you believe me, Laura? Do you believe me? Are you going to believe me for Beth? And I'm telling you, it was the difference between me literally popping in for lunch the next day. I'm not kidding. I'm being super honest. I was like, I will be there. I don't care that I have to teach on Tuesday. I'm going to be there. I will walk in there and I'm just going to, yeah. I was ready to swoop in and the Lord was like, will you just trust me? Will you trust me? And in the moment, as soon as I surrendered that over to him, I began to have insight for Beth that I didn't have because I was so clouded by my own wants. What is it that you wrote down that you would write on that paper that I held up? What is it for you today? What I want us to understand is that this is not an invalid need. This is not something that Jesus rejects and despises that we come to him and go, I need financial help, I'm struggling, or I need my marriage fixed, or I need health, a health crisis taken care of. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. He doesn't despise this, but this begins to cloud him when this takes center stage. When this is all I can see, and I allow my emotions to take over and take me down a rabbit trail, I can't see him. And then all of a sudden, He's distant. I don't know if he's at work. I'm not sure. And Jesus is saying, I want you to submit this to me. I want you to lay this at my feet. I want you to see me first. I'm going to meet your needs, Laura. I'm going to meet your needs. And it won't be like you expect it to be. But I'm going to meet your needs. It may not all get neat and tidy while you're here on earth. But I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be present. And so in those moments, I have to decide, am I going to believe him or not? And Jesus says, for a reason, this is the only work I want you to do, is believe me. Why does he say that? Because it's work. It's not easy. It, there is nothing in our natural man that is bent to believe him. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why the man and the, father, the sweet father in Mark chapter 9 said, I do believe you, but help me with my unbelief. That's a valid prayer. In order for me to believe him, I have to engage. I have to capture my thoughts. And so the work for me laying on that bottom bunk bed the other night was, first of all, capture myself. I'm going down a rabbit trail. My thoughts are getting a little crazy and out of hand. I'm going to grab them, submit them to Jesus, and trust him. Remind myself of what is true. Days are written for Beth before one of them have come to be. She's fearfully and wonderfully made. He will never leave her or forsake her. She's written on the palm of his hand. His plans for her are good plans, not to harm her, but to give her a hope and a future. So I have to take the crazy thoughts captive, replace them with the true thoughts, and then I have to decide, do I believe these thoughts? Do I believe the truth? I do. Now, when I believe the truth, the shoulders start to relax. Now I get to enjoy Beth, and I get to walk with her knowing that it's not on my shoulders to fix Beth and to fix her world. So now I just get to go, okay, Beth, let's pray about this. Let's stop right now and let's pray about this. Lord, you give us wisdom in this situation. This is who you go to, Beth. You go to Jesus. Because she's got a mom that's going to believe him. I'm going to believe him. 
And when I can't believe him, I'm going to trust him to swoop underneath me and give me what I don't have to believe him. He's that good. He's that good. And so today I just ask us as we close this series, what is it that's clouding your view of Jesus? What is it that keeps you awake at night? Follow your frenzy, I heard a friend say. Follow your frenzy. What is it that got you in a frenzy? Is it the approval of others? Is it the size of your body? Is it your boss? Is it your loneliness? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your health? Is it your emotional unrest? What is it? And then ask yourself, is he enough? Or am I like the massive crowd that failed to press in, that just stayed focused on my own life and said, oh, wait a second, I'm staring at myself, another need. Where, oh, wait, where did he go? I better run after him because I need him again. Now, he receives us, but he wants so much more for us. He wants so much more for us. He wants me to be like the disciples that walk with him day in and day out. Day in and day out. Daily bread. Daily bread. Show us a miraculous sign. You want a miraculous sign? Look at the cross. We are entering into, we are in Lenten season. We are approaching Easter. As we close our five-week series together, I would challenge each of us, would you just open up the book of Luke and start to read the account of the last days of Jesus and just ask him to speak to you. Just ask him to speak to you. Lord, teach me about the cross, things that I don't know. Teach me who you are. At some point, the Lord, in his grace, moved me from the milk of spiritual experience after experience. And he moved me from the milk of being puffed up and self-righteous. And he moved me to the meat and potatoes that are him, himself. And he moved me from just wanting what he could do for me and just wanting to others to be impressed by me spiritually to a place where I just love him. I just love him. Why do I love him? Because I've experienced the truth. I've experienced him. How have I experienced him? Because I've pressed in when nothing else would do. And I've believed him. And it hadn't been anything. It's, it's not been easy. But it's been so worth it. Billy Graham has gone home to be with the Lord today. 99 years old. And I thought about that this morning as I was laying on my bed thanking the Lord for that man's life. I thought if he could come back for five minutes, I think he would come in this room ablazed with the glory. I think his hair would be up like the electricity and his eyes would be, and there would be this glorious light around him. And I think he'd bust through those doors and go, it's worth it, he's worth it. Don't stop, don't stop, don't settle, he's worth it. It's all worth it. I just believe he would say that. But he can't force me to believe that and he can't force you to believe that, neither can I. At some point, we have to grow up spiritually and decide, I'm in this thing. I'm in it. And if I don't understand it, I'm going to press in and ask. I'm going to believe that he's going to show up for me every single day. I am going to believe that he loves me. I'm going to believe that his word is true. I'm going to believe that I'm really forgiven. 
I'm going to believe that he loves me. I'm going to believe it. If we would just start there, we would turn this city upside down. Our families would be turned upside down. I have to tell you, I, never mind, believe him. <laughs> Let me pray for us. <laughs> Jesus, I love you. Lord, we, everything in our being wants to follow. And yet we are frail, fragile, weak women. And there are things that bring us to our knees so quickly. And Lord, I am so grateful that you don't despise us for that. You know that we are frail. You know that we are weak. And that's why your grace abounds in our weakness. And so, Lord, I am asking that you would do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Would you cause our faith to rise up in a way that we believe you no matter what. We are gonna stake our lives on it, whether we feel it or not. We're going to believe you. And God, I pray that you would do through our lives what you could only do. Would you draw all women to yourself? Would we be women that others look at and go, where did you get that peace? Your eyes are shining. Come Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. Transform us into the likeness of Jesus. We'll give you the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies.